You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can run the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL for FanRag Sports, FanSided, and Pro Football Weekly. And you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. And you can find all of our podcast content at LockedOnPackers.com. It is Friday. It is Good Friday. And so I'm going to keep... The podcast short today, particularly short, uh, and I, I keep promising positional reviews, and the thing about not doing them is no one seems to care, <laughs> and I think the reason no one cares is either, number one, those who care have not been vocal about us not doing them, or I think more likely Packer fans are very, very engaged with what's going on with the upcoming draft. Every time we put out draft content at Acme Packing or fan-sided, we did the, the fan-sided mock I did earlier in the week, did crazy numbers traffic-wise. Fans were all over it. Uh, whether they liked it or not is obviously a, a separate issue, but it seems to me that Packers fans are very much engaged with this process. And yeah, I think the reasons for that are pretty obvious. This is a critical offseason for the Packers moving forward. I think everyone feels the pressure of what's going on here. They feel the pressure of making changes in the front office, of making changes on both sides of the coaching staff. And so I think everyone in the organization and outside of the organization, players, coaches, fans, front office, everyone, understands this is a pivot point in the, the course of the Packers' short-term history here and potentially long-term as well because the right moves made now could set up the Packers for this final run of Aaron Rodgers' career. And if you look at the great quarterbacks over the course of the last 10 or 15 years and even going back into the 90s, you look at John Elway who won two Super Bowls at the end of his career. You look at Peyton Manning winning Super Bowl at the end of his career. Tom Brady, obviously competitive, not just competitive, but outstanding into his 40s and so and winning Super Bowls. The Packers obviously want to maximize this window and they need to fix some of the mistakes that were made by Ted Thompson, this front office, and this coaching staff. And... They, they've started doing that. Obviously, the, this uh, a more aggressive tact in free agency is part of that. But I think we're going to see some more changes in the way that this team handles its business in the draft. And, and one just little example, something we can point to, and it could it could be much bigger than just this micro story. It could have macro effects on this team. So the Packers, Tony Pauline, longtime draft writer and analyst, reporter, he reported after the, the Central Florida Pro Day that Mike Hughes, cornerback from UCF, 
was going to take a pre-draft visit with the Packers. And this is this is important for Packers fans because it's a player that the Packers are potentially interested in. Could be a pick at 14, could be a pick at 45. His draft stock is sort of late first, early second. So maybe 14 would be a little early. Had he tested a little better at the combine, maybe he could have been that uh, sort of, you know, somewhere in that 12 to 18 to 20 range. But that's not what's interesting to me. The fact that the Packers are interested at all and so interested that they would bring him in for a pre-draft visit suggests something bigger than just their interest in Mike Hughes. Remember we talked about the Packers' thresholds, their, the physical profile, the kinds of players that they like. Well, traditionally, they have preferred cornerbacks 5'10 half or taller. And lately, even bigger than that. Demarius Randall was over six feet. Kevin King is huge. He is way over six feet. Quentin Rollins, um, you know, closer to six feet. And so the fact that they have interest in a player who is just a shade over 5'10 and enough interest to bring him in for a pre-draft visit suggests that maybe their athletic profile is changing. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought that 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 could have more to do, not with the front office changing its parameters, but with a defensive coordinator change, saying we can do different kinds of things with our corners. And so there's a couple different things that I think are in play here. Number one, Dom Capers was the defensive coordinator when Ted Thompson was setting those thresholds. They were prioritizing a certain type of player to play a certain type of defense. The Packers are not necessarily going to do that with Mike Patton. They could let Kevin King travel with number ones. If they think he's a number one corner, let him face A.J. Green and Julio Jones and these number one. And, and they did that at times. Now, he didn't necessarily travel with those guys, but he was given the responsibility of covering those players at times. If the Packers go to a man scheme or a man-based scheme and they play a lot more man-to-man coverage, then what they'll want is a matchup secondary. And by that, I mean you need a corner to handle bigger receivers. You need a corner to handle smaller, quicker receivers. You need a corner that can handle possession or deep threat receivers. So there's, you need to have a diversity of skill sets if you're going to play man coverage. Now, some teams will say, we just want big physical corners, and, and that's how we're going to handle our defense. They're going to they're gonna play sides. You think of the Seahawks. That's what they do. We're going to take big guys, long guys. We're going to throw them on the outside. We're going to play zone coverage. We're going to be physical at the line of scrimmage. Well, if you play man coverage, maybe you need a more diverse skill set. Maybe you're more open to the possibilities of having a corner who's 5'10", a little bit shorter, a little bit leaner, guys who who are going to play primarily in the slot or who are going to primarily cover smaller, quicker receivers. You look at a team like Detroit. They don't have a big receiver to cover. So maybe you need a smaller, quicker receiver to cover Golden Tate or Stephon Diggs in Minnesota. 
So you have to understand the teams that you're going to face and how you want to match up, but you also need to understand the scheme that you're going to play. And so a change of scheme, maybe it doesn't change the process for the Packers, but maybe they need to tweak some of these thresholds. They need to tweak some of these athletic profiles specifically because Mike Pettin wants to play a different kind of defense that requires a different kind of skill set. And if that is all true, then that opens up a, a broader skill set from which the Packers can draw. You are listening to the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one local daily sports podcast network. Be sure to catch up on everything new across the NFL with Locked On NFL and Locked On NFL Draft. And this is what I mean when I say that this this micro story has macro implications. Because if the Packers are willing to say, we could bring in a guy who can only play the slot because we need this diversity of skill sets, then maybe that brings in some of the shorter corners at the top of this draft. Remember, I mentioned that the top of the draft you know, the top 60 or so players. There were very few who met the Packers' preferred athletic profile. It was basically Denzel Ward and Josh Jackson, and that was it. But part of the reason that was true is because two of the potential first-round corners, Jair Alexander and Mike Hughes, are too short. They don't fit, but they do when you look at the other athletic indicators that the Packers prefer. So you look at 40 time, they pass. You look at three cone, they pass. So if height is the only thing holding them back, maybe those players are back on the board. Maybe those guys are on the Packers board because those height requirements are being massaged. I think when you look at athletic ability and the way that the Packers prefer athleticism, and they, and they prioritize it. I don't expect that to change. So when you look at speed and change of direction ability, the three cone and the 40 time, those numbers do matter. Don't let anyone tell you those numbers don't matter. They do, and they matter to Green Bay. Both Jair Alexander and Mike Hughes and Dante Jackson from LSU meet the athletic profile numbers but are a little too short or have been traditionally too short. The Packers have not wanted to take a corner in the top 100 who can't play the boundary. That's basically why they prioritize these taller corners. They have brought in some smaller players as undrafted free agents. But at the top of the draft, if you're looking for pedigreed corners, which is what the Packers have preferred to do under Ted Thompson and what I expect them to prefer to do under Brian Gutekinds is bring in these guys who can play outside or inside. If the Packers are going to play some more matchup, some more man coverage, then they might decide they need a more diverse skill set. And so what this does I talked about this earlier in the week, and I, it was in my, my fan-sided mock. I thought, okay, if the Packers want to trade up back into the first, here's what it could look like. Well, if 
they have a deeper pool of corners from which to draw then needing to trade back into the first, which would cost an arm and a leg, becomes less of a necessity. If they can get someone at 14, and remember the five names I mentioned, Derwin James, Denzel Ward, Marcus Davenport, Harold Landry, and Josh Jackson. Like we can throw Minka Fitzpatrick in there as well, Connor Williams. There's some other guys that we can put in that mix. They can just go... It gives them more flexibility to just say, we're going to take the best guy. We're going to take who's available to us because we don't have to prioritize a corner. Had they, see, this is all, this is all connected here. If they can't get a corner they like in the second or the third round, then it becomes more imperative that they do so in the first. And while I don't generally advocate need-based drafting, strictly speaking, you don't take a guy out of position simply because you need one. If you have a group of players graded similarly, it has to matter which similar players you could get later. And I don't mean similar graded, I mean similar positions. So if there's only one cornerback in this draft that they love, and he's there, but they have some other similar graded players, even slightly above graded players, that are there at 14, you take the corner because of the opportunity cost associated with taking a different position. If they take an edge rusher, for example, then they may have to just wait on a corner until the mid to late rounds, and maybe you can't get an impact player there, which they need. So that's why saying the depth of the number of corners that they could take if they are, in fact, expanding that number by expanding the parameters of the kinds of players they're interested in, then you don't have to focus as narrowly on getting that player in the first round. And then perhaps what that means for them is they don't have to give up all of these assets to move back into the first to get that guy. Because what you'd like to do, ideally, is come away with from your first three picks with a corner, an edge rusher, and a receiver. That would be ideal. If you can get an offensive lineman in there, that would be gravy. In the in the top four rounds, that would that's, I think, where they need to prioritize corner, edge, wide receiver, offensive line in the first four rounds. But I think what this, what this allows the Packers to do is say, we're going to stay at 14. We're going to pick at 45. And then maybe, maybe the move and I, I, the more I've looked at it, the more I've thought about it, the more I think this is the prudent course of action is take the three and the potentially the both fours if necessary and move back into the second. I think this draft is about 60 players, 50 to 60. I've, I've watched more guys. I initially said I think it's 45 to 50. I think that's about right, but I mean, you could you could extend it and get to about 60 guys. There's a drop-off after that. And so in the third round, normally you feel like in the third round you can get a starting caliber player. But the way that this draft sets up, I would, I would be worried about the quality of the guy that I could get at 75. So then, if you can get a blue-chip guy, regardless of position, at 14, you can get a quality player at 45, then... 
given the fact that now you you can you have a, this broader group of corners at your disposal maybe you could get one at 45 whereas before you couldn't or maybe now you can trade up to get one in the 50s you trade back up to 52 53 and you can get someone like Dante Jackson who you wouldn't have wanted to draft before under the old parameters. This this just makes them more flexible. And so I would understand if a Packer fan hears this and says, well, does, isn't flexibility good? Shouldn't they always have been prioritizing flexibility? And the answer is, to some degree, yes. And, and I've had this conversation with, with smart football people, people in and around the league that, that maybe these thresholds are not always good, that they can unnecessarily cordon off players that that could be good. And I think that's true. I think you need to be willing to make exceptions. And maybe, look, maybe that's all Mike Hughes is. Maybe that's all this visit is about, is they think he is particularly special. We know he's dynamic with the ball in his hands. He had four picks last season, one returned for a touchdown. He also had two punt returns and a kick return for a touchdown. So you look at that 4-5-3 speed and you say, look, he is dynamic with the ball in his hand. I don't care what the 40 time says. Teams couldn't catch him when he had the ball. He is a playmaker. And so 40 time be damned. In fact, his three cone, look at Jair Alexander. He ran 4-3-8. But his three cone, which measures change of direction ability, was essentially identical to my cues. They had the same vertical jump. So you want, to, you want to look at explosiveness and change of direction, it's the same. Now, deep speed matters, but my point is he could just be an outlier for Green Bay. They could just say, you know, we need corners. We need to exhaust our, our all of our options, and so we're going to go outside our norms. The, what the norms do is they help you eliminate players. So if you look on tape and you say, this guy looks stiff, or this guy is too small or whatever, those numbers help you say, we need to focus in on X, Y, and Z players. That doesn't mean they should fully eliminate outliers. If you see an undersized player and and Hughes does not play like an undersized corner, then I don't think you should be beholden to these metrics, especially when they fit the other athletic traits that you prioritize. So I guess all of that is to say this could be a very positive step for the Packers because they're at least at the very least willing to consider outliers. All right, we're going to be back next week with a lot more content, three more shows, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and we are inside a month now with the NFL draft, and, and that is going to be our focus for the next month. If you if you wanted, I think what we'll do with the positional reviews is the ones that we haven't done yet. I think what we'll do is we'll wait until after the draft, and we will do basically a a spin that review forward and say, here's what the the position group looked like last year. Here's what the Packers have or haven't done to improve that position group, and look at it a little bit in a forward-looking lens. Of course, when we when we get closer to next season, into the summer, when we have a lot less to talk about, 
I think we will do more of these position group type analyses and say, uh, this is what the Packers position group looks like for 2018. But what we'll do, I think, in the next few weeks after the draft is some of those position groups that we haven't done. A review, this is what it looked like last year, this is what they've done, and a little bit looking forward. I don't want to get too bogged down into that. So we're going to have a lot more discussions about the draft leading up to the draft. Again, under a month before we get there, so a lot more content. If you have questions, I, I love answering them. So at Peter underscore Bukowski at Locked on Packers. Remember all of the shows at LockedOnPackers.com, AcmePackingCompany.com. We have content all the time, day in and day out. Keep an eye on all of that and keep it locked on Packers.